This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No guests, no preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking. And that was the introduction, the first introduction with any sort of music or narrative, uh, really, from our second episode about Al Bender, complete with the word debunking being uh, being cut off there at uh, there at the end. To be honest, until I went back and looked at that or, or tried to find it, I had no idea how I used to start these episodes. That's because it's been five years of the saucer life, almost to the day, which is just mind-boggling. Um, I, I'm not sure I expected the saucer life to go five months, uh, and and five years is just an implausibly long time for a flying saucer podcast that avoids all of the major flying saucer stories, avoids anything that happened after about the year 2000, features just one person, mostly, talking, and has a focus on historical documents. Uh, It's an implausibly long time for this kind of show to run. Um, But here we are, um, five years later, And if I do the math right, and I remember what the numbers were from our old hosting site before we moved to Pinecast, which I recommend if you need a podcast host, Pinecast is great. Uh, I think we are at about 800,000 downloads since we started, which, you know, there are lots of shows get that, I don't know, every week probably. But I don't know. I I like it. I'll I'll be – I don't really care, um, but uh, it's nice to sort of keep track of those kinds of statistics. So thank you for five years of listening. Thank you especially for those of you who have supported Chizo Media over on the Patreon for the last seven, eight months or so since the beginning of the year. Um, I appreciate that very much. Uh, Samantha, my co-host over at Great Lakes Lore, appreciates that as well. The Saucer Wife appreciates it because uh, now I'm not uh, – necessarily begging money for flying saucer books like I have been known to do in the past. So this episode, this this fifth anniversary episode, I, I, I struggled with what to do for it. And, and then I, I realized, I, I and this sounds really cheesy, I thought maybe I'd make it kind of a celebration of you folks out there listening. So I, I put up a survey and I, I, I solicited things on social media. I wanted people to tell me their favorite topics that we've covered, topics that they want me to cover in the future. And then any questions they had for me, I would do my best to answer them. And I got an astounding response. Uh, I'm not going to say an overwhelming response. I, I think it's it's whelming. It's solidly in the, the whelming category. And um, I want to thank those those people who left names on the survey. There were a lot more anonymous people than this, but thanks goes out to Julian Z, David Southwell, Edward, Sir Topham Hat, Doc Pinko, Fred G, Adam F, Sarah L, Heather, Jim R, Red Pill Junkie, Bumpy Lumps, Hiram Ratskillet, Brian Rosenquist, Ben, Baird, Laura, Josh, Ephraim Gallipoli, Von Weikert, Gabriel McKee, Stephen Fowler, uh, Black Wolf John Oates off Twitter and the Patreon, Andy Social, Jim Davis, and like I said, a bunch of other anonymous 
people. So uh, rather than try to keep people's names with the things they contributed, I just thought I would I would credit those people who wanted uh, who had a, a name to put in the credit slot or who uh, who said something on Twitter and oh and Nate Thomas as well. Uh, forgot Nate Thomas almost because his name was in a different part of my file. So in, so there those are the people who helped contribute. There were like I said many others uh, unnamed. But we remember them in our hearts. So before we dive in to um, your comments and uh, requests and questions, uh, I, I just just some saucer life trivia here for those who might be interested, because I, I think this is interesting stuff sometimes. I, I always sort of wonder, what is our most downloaded episode? And to be fair, this is this is just basically because we've we switched hosts this is is just the last gosh i think 3 years out of the 5 but as of right now uh, our most downloaded episode is our episode on the 9 followed closely by our follow up episode on the stargate conspiracy which just really confuses me because those two knocked out of knocked out of first place the one that had been there forever which was our Maury island episode and the janos people come in fourth so it's and then fifth just round up the fifth place who are the controllers so those are the the five most sort of most downloaded ones i don't know if they're they're the most popular um people could download them and hate them which would make them much downloaded but unpopular i uh, i will say i was not thrilled with the nine or the Stargate conspiracy, just from my perspective as somebody making the podcasts, I'm always a little concerned when we've got these topics that are deeply, deeply intricate and um, and, and also fairly well known. That uh, you know, eighteen thousand people coming out of the woodwork to tell me what I did wrong. Uh, but no, I'm surprised and a little happy to see that uh, other uh, other saucer life trivia i don't know i don't have a least popular episode um just because the way the stats are tracked um it it just doesn't work to sort of to sort of find that but um i will say that uh gosh least favorite episode of mine to work on gosh i've i've got to say probably Probably the, the Philadelphia Experiment Montauk Project trilogy was the my least favorite to uh, to work on just because, again, giant, intricate topic that required me to have conspiracy theorist style yarn boards and whiteboards and lots of drawings. And, and that's just trying to figure out where Al Bielik's soul is at, uh, at any given time. Um, my favorite episode, before we get into other people's favorite episodes – um, my favorite episode that I did was probably the Orfeo Angelucci episode. That that one was that one was fun. That one was fun to do. Um, yeah. All right. So that's just sort of my thoughts about actually my my favorite topics. Just sort of the question that I asked all of you. So let's get to it. Let's get to people's favorite topics, or at least the people who responded to my my summons for attention. And isn't asking for any feedback when you're doing a podcast, some sort of summons for attention, isn't doing a podcast a summons for attention in some ways. All right. Your favorite topics. I've, I've tried to um, 
sort of eliminate uh, duplicates and overlap here, but uh, let's take a look. Here's one. Almost impossible to pick out, but the Bill Cooper episode made me very happy during a shit week, so it will always have a special place in my heart. Oh, good. I'm, you know, there, there's sometimes where where I I just I don't know exactly what I'm doing this show, but if, if it makes people feel better when they're having a downtime, like some things I've listened to over the years have, then then that's all I'm I'm really kind of worried about. And and Bill Cooper. Bill Cooper has a way, doesn't he? Um, and uh, this person goes on to say, every episode of the zine scene is also fantastic, particularly the ones in which you do a Coral Lorenzen voice. I had forgotten until I saw this that I actually have a Coral Lorenzen voice. And I need to go back and listen to some of those because I can't remember exactly what my Coral Lorenzen voice is. Um, speaking of the zine scene ones, lots of um, lots of, uh, lots of praise for the zine scene episodes, which makes me happy because those are some of my favorite to do just because it, it's so fun to immerse oneself in in a time period in that in that way and magazine articles are much more compatible with my attention span than than books sometimes but yeah i, I need to go back and listen to my coral lawrence and voice because uh, i think there is going to be some apro stuff coming up in in the future uh, also some flying saucer review stuff from britain and their editor gordon creighton and i know i had a gordon creighton voice and i was trying to remember what that was i'm gonna have to go back and uh, and review that i i think it, it's sort of a, a a pompous not british but but sort of mid-atlantic style uh style accent so i i think i'm going to have to review not not accents but just sort of tonality um people like uh, the the morris k jessup episodes and william dudley pelly um good i'm glad uh, i'm glad people enjoyed william dudley pelly that one was difficult to to find a good angle on that didn't turn into a giant sort of history lesson about fascism in the 30s i kept some flying saucers in there uh, mystery airships was popular the 90s ufo recap was popular there's gonna be some more 90s stuff coming up um in the very very near future um one respondent said honestly my favorites are the holiday episodes they are really fun and perfectly crafted for the crowd that listens to them already looking forward to listening to the next one while wrapping christmas presents thank you very much i have no idea what the uh 2022 uh saucer live holiday special is going to be um no idea. I, I need to sort of think of that because sometimes they have production requirements that go beyond uh, beyond what we normally do here on the show. There were a couple of mentions of the Read These Books episodes, including Read These Books, Read These Other Books, and Read These Books Now. I think I need to come up with another variation on that. The problem with the Read These Books segments is that so often I'm reading so many books for the actual episodes that reading extra books for an additional episode – actually, that is a terrible excuse and doesn't make any sense. Yes, more uh, read these books episodes coming uh, coming up. Uh, episodes about golden age contactees and, and there were there were a, a bunch of different contactee responses sort of gathered them here. Um, elaborate contactee stories that read like science fiction such as the Janos people, Contact with Coldus. Um other people like the Janos people saying, a boring English family have a sighting that ends up as a novel about middle-class white people heaven. That, that is the best, uh, the best tagline for that, um, for that uh, I can possibly 
come up with. Saucer felons and, and con men and grifters and, and hoaxers. Uh, Lights camera Reinhold about our uh, our friend Reinhold Schmidt came up a few times. There's there's going to be uh, there's going to be some hoaxers or I'm, I'm sorry. There's going to be some suspected hoaxers in our uh, in our near future. So hopefully people will be on board with that. Um, road trips to sites of famous encounters. The Kelly Hopkinsville encounter terrified me as a youngster, this person says. I was convinced something like that could happen at our house in suburban 1970s Canada. Listening to your road trip adventure down there was pretty therapeutic. It diffused some of the trauma in my childhood imagining of it. Oh, good. Um, I'm uh, Good. I'm... I'm happy to hear that. That that makes me happy. It, it really does. Um, they conclude by saying, some October night, you should go fish off that pier on the Pascagoula River. Oh, that would be outstanding. Um, I did not get a paranormal road trip in this year or a history road trip like I usually do. Um, things have been very busy, but also gas prices were a little high and uh we we had other trips to take that uh, sort of that gas money ended up being earmarked for i will tell you that simpson j hanover the third and i have strongly considered some way to go out to mount shasta at some point but since um we both live a long way from mount shasta that might be a long term a long term project um, one person liked encount um uh, Bender and the Men in Black, uh, the Bender episode. That was that was a good one. It's the Bender one is another one where we're not another one. I haven't mentioned any, but the Bender episode is an episode where there's part of me is is sort of thinking it would be nice to go back and and redo that to a degree or or do a Bender two electric boogaloo sort of thing because it was the second episode I did and and, and so I, I've I've learned a lot. Um, since then, I, I look at the Bender episode and I'm, I'm horrified at how short it is. Uh, they also liked Big Feet from Space. Yes, Space Big, Bigfoot is always fun. Maury Island, um, King David's Daughter and the Lizard People, Sherry Shriner. Uh, lots of fans of the Sherry Shriner episodes and uh, the the Disclosure um, episode. They picked one episode from each year. Well, that was that was a good way to do it. Um, people, some people, one person <laughs> liked the Umo episode. Um, Another person said, so tough to pick. The Mothman series was particularly good, and my predilections lead me to pick the Silver Bridge episode as the best of them. I agree. I also love a good swindle, so the Reinhold Schmidt and Maury Island ones are up there, too. Um, yes, uh, Maury Island was was fun. Maury Island got uh, got pretty in-depth, uh, and, and I, I did like the Mothman. I, I liked how I – I'm going to – not to toot my own horn, but toot toot um, – I liked I I think I did a good job with that Mothman series. I, I I think my approach of looking at different batches of evidence from Keel's Keel's notes from the time as opposed to to just the Mothman prophecies and newspapers and then then Silverbridge. I, I think that was I liked how I did that. I was actually kind of kind of happy that I did that. Here's a comment. The recent PK man episode was great. And then there's the Allende episode where you got me teary-eyed when discussing PJ Dowers's book. Yeah, the PJ Dowers book was I was not expecting that. I got a couple tip-offs that I needed to get my hands on it, and I'm really glad I took the risk in sending my money off to this very 1998 looking website because it it presented an angle that I don't think I could have gotten on that topic any other way. 
Uh, Me and you and a dog named Bo (laughs) about um, Buck Nelson. Great story. And I love the reference to AM Gold legend Lobo. Yes, indeed. Uh, The episodes with Gray Barker, this person says, are some of my favorites. He seemed to be such an interesting guy. Kind of a con artist, but still likable and not completely insincere. Um, more Another person says, more genres than episodes. For learning about something new that I just can't be bothered to read the books, the one contact in one episode episodes are really great. My personal faves are all involving the nexus of the intelligence military community and the UFO community or the nexus of the UFO community and right-wing and fascist politics. But you can never go wrong with humanoids. No, you can't. The humanoids are are just the perfect um, – oh, this will be fun. This will be a nice – refreshing palate cleanser after the nexus of the ufo community and right-wing and fascist politics um oh and uh one person said favorite uh, episode or topic the one i'm listening to well thank you that is that uh that's very convenient for me to say well hey it's the one you're listening to it must be a good one thank you for that insight it gives me some idea a bit of um of what's been good and what's been not bad, but maybe less uh, less impactful. And what I think is is interesting, and, and maybe nobody else does. And I do acknowledge that this entire episode is is a little self indulgent. Hey, let's let me talk about myself and what people say about me for a while. But it's my show. So what I think is interesting is the episodes that seem to have had the biggest impact on people that responded are the episodes that had the biggest impact on me making them. So my suspicion is that it's not necessarily my present just my presentation of these topics, but also the topics themselves have something in them that uh, that resonates with people to a degree. Even the Janos people with their uh, their their grill by the lake. But thank you for those insights. All right, before we get into the midway break here, um, actually, I have no idea where the midway is going to be, but before we get into our our little sort of middle break, um, just want to talk to you about what's coming in the future, about the future of the show, not in an ominous, ominous way. Don't worry. No, not not in an ominous... not in a bad way or a threatening way, but just some things that are coming, some changes, some ideas I've had. Uh, one thing you'll be seeing, um, not it's not going to be a, a deluge of it, but more stories from outside the United States. Uh, as we're going to see in the re- requested topics, that comes up a bit. So more stories from outside the United States. Um, we're, we're going to also be um, – we using the royal we i'm going to be ending the standalone listener feedback segments on off weeks i'm not saying there won't be occasional off week things of some sort if i have reason to but uh what i've found is that the production and uploading and 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 doing a little graphic and and getting everything ready for those off week segments it, it takes me about 3 times as long to do all that as it takes to actually listen to the segment. And um, it's something I started during sort of the 2020 
everything has changed period of time and things are getting back to a, a, a busier schedule than I had before. So I will still be responding to all of your qu- questions and comments. I'll just be doing during doing it during the middle break segment of the next regular episode. So I'm um, going to be doing that. Uh, just the the and also the disparity in download numbers between the regular episodes and listener feedback episodes. Yeah, I, I think it's fine. I don't think people are going to be too angry. Um, I, I hope you're not. But uh, it, it was just getting to be a bit too quick of turnaround time from one episode to the feedback episode to the next episode. And that's another reason is because I had to get these things ready so quickly because of my schedule that it didn't give people time enough to submit questions and comments. So I think this will actually be a better system. So that's one thing you'll be seeing in the future. Also, I'm throwing around an idea of a type of episode that I am not entirely sure about. So you might be hearing a, uh, a very bad episode at some point in the future. Um, in history, we call them counterfactuals. What if something had gone differently? How would UFO history be changed if um, something happened that didn't happen in quote, real life? Or um, what, what, if, what if something didn't happen that sort of had an impact in reality? And, and what if that thing didn't happen? What if this person or that person decided not to get into UFOs? How would the history of ufology be changed? How would, how would, we, how would the way in which we think about flying saucers be a bit different? Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, but it's something I've toyed around with. And so we might see a strand of episodes here and there that are sort of alternate UFO history. Um, not, not, I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but it's, it's, it's an idea that I've had. And as we get into the usual midway break stuff, next time, one of our most requested topics over the years is not going to be covered. I was going to cover the Gulf Breeze 6, and then I, uh, I, I realized that, that maybe I should cover the Gulf Breeze sightings first. And then I was like, but I really want to cover the Gulf Breeze 6 in, instead of the sightings. So I put a poll up on Twitter, and uh, the Twitter poll is resoundingly in favor of doing the Gulf Breeze sightings. So next time, the Gulf Breeze sightings, Ed Walters, UFOs. Jim Mosley shows up actually investigating UFOs, probably for the last time ever, and as a sort of engaged, um, active, investigatory way. It's the late 80s. MUFON is running wild. Um, it is I was skeptical of the, of the topic being interesting, but oh my gosh, it is interesting. Abductions, hypnotic regression, it's got everything. And then the episode after that, the Gulf Breeze 6. What does it have to do with the Gulf Breeze sightings? They both involve the small town of Gulf Breeze, Florida in some way, but that one gets really, really wild as well. So Gulf Breeze, UFO sightings, and then the Gulf Breeze 6. If you like The Saucer Life and you want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content from both this show and our other Chizo Media podcast, Great Lakes Lore. You can check it out at patreon.com slash Chizo Media or via the link in the show notes. You can Google Saucer Life Patreon. You can go to ChizoMedia.com. Um, all of these things will uh, will get you there. And we very much appreciate, like I said, all of you who have uh, hopped onto the Patreon. There's some 
good conversation in the comments over there. Um, it's a good place to ask us questions where we, um, where we see them very, very quickly. Uh, you can check out past episodes of The Saucer Life on your favorite podcast app or at saucerlife.com. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life, and you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. And one last sort of news and note update. There's a link in the show notes, but uh, I put out the call last time for the catfish humanoid, uh, people to draw the catfish humanoid. We had, as of when I put the page together that there's a link to, uh, eight people send in their interpretation, their artist's impression of the catfish humanoid creature. And they are all, I, I mean, I would never, ever, ever like rank or pick a favorite when people submit something like that for fun. Um, I, I, I like them all. They all have um, really interesting uh, significant things about them. So check out that link in the show notes. You might have seen them here or there on uh, on social media, but but check out uh, check out that page. All right, let's answer some ask me anything questions. Okay, some of these. Um, I, I think I've got all of them. I, th- I think I got all of them. We'll do some questions and then we'll we'll talk about uh, what you want to see in the future and how much likelihood there is of me covering that particular topic. I'll try to be as honest as I can about that. And I'll try to be as thorough as I can with these um, AMA questions. I did not prep most of these, so um, I'll edit out any long, awkward pauses. First up, how do you think your interest in saucers and perception of them has shaped your view of the world? Okay, it's a multi-part question. I'll, I'll take that uh, that part first. Um, I'm – oh, I don't want to say I'm not sure it has, but uh, it, it hasn't – there's no UFO story I've come across that has made me fundamentally – readdress or reassess my worldview. Um, I, I do think that uh, some of the weirder, more high strangeness, high strangeness oriented UFO stories have um, have sort of, sort of enhanced my interest in other areas of the paranormal uh, and and my my sort of in, interest in and examination of those things. I think uh, the more UFO stories I look at, the more appreciation I have for the overlap between uh, between these areas. I I think it, it also has has made me some of the other some other aspects of ufology have made me more cynical about uh, the phenomenon in general. The endless wrangling the last few years over this government agency or that government agency or this. Um, organization, you know, selling stock to promote their their UFO activity. There's, you know, the cue the Jane Pauley clip about unlimited financial opportunity. Um, and, and yes, the government stuff is a financial opportunity for someone because things get contracted out. And um, with some of those things, there are people who've done much, much better work uh, on on those topics than I have. But uh, but so, some aspects that have made me a bit more cynical about the the the, the field. Um, but uh, but overall, nothing nothing earth shattering. Um, and an appreciation for UFOs have given me a greater appreciation for ghosts and cryptids. Basically, the more I look at them. 
All right. Uh, next part of this multi-part question. As an academic who works on saucers in his legit work, what suggestions would you give to someone who wants to do the same? I'm getting my PhD in religious studies, and I really want to do a project on belief, hagiography, and the contactees at some point. I have a rough outline, but I don't know how to pitch it in a way that's palatable to my less ufologically inclined colleagues. Um, I think the best thing to do is to talk to uh, talk to your advisor or the people you're working with and go to them sort of um, prepared with bibliographies of the work that uh, religious studies scholars like David Halperin, for example, have been doing for decades. Um, there, there's been a, a long strand of uh, of religious studies scholars looking at UFOs, particularly contactees. And, um, you know, go go to JSTOR. Find some of that stuff, and the, you know, of course, names are except for David Halperin are slipping out of my head. Um, Jeffrey Kripal and uh, uh, the American Cosmic person whose name I uh, I, I I always forget. Um, Pasulka, I think um, they're good, but they're I I would. If you find their stuff, find their stuff that's in that's in the peer-reviewed journals, not not the, the the popular stuff. If you're trying to persuade your committee or your advisor that that this is a fruitful area to go to, you know, to this, there's this long there's this long sort of strand of, of scholarship on on UFOs and, and and contactees as well. And my work is going to build on that, reinterpret that in whichever way. Um, that's that's kind of what I did. I, I I sort of had to sort of build up this this evidence that um, that that I'm not just making my own thing up, if that makes sense. All right, we started out with sort of a a, a big one. Um, here's another one. Working on which episode has most changed your opinion on a case or an aspect of ufology? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think. Oh gosh, which case? I or which episode? I think. Honestly, honestly, I think working on the um, on the 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 Millabs episodes and, and the Controllers episode really sort of hammered home that that even if it's not you know the sole explanation for the uh, for the abduction phenomenon thing, that some kind of terrestrial chicanery is uh, is at play, and I'd always sort of like, oh yeah, some of it's probably like that sort of thing. But uh, but but reading some of those books, reading um, Leah Haley's books also, uh, the, the Millabs thing I, I think has become one of those things that it, it's it's not one of the fun topics, right? And, and then when you get to things like the Montauk Project, where you've got just these these sort of outlandish tales um, that, but also have a a, a sort of government experiment. Uh, sort, sort, sort of thread to them. It, it sort of makes me sort of frustrated that that the outlandish stories always get more uh, more attention um, because they're they're easier to to just sort of sort of dismiss. So I, I think that strand has has not necessarily changed my opinion, but uh, but has made me more aware of its or more more alert. To its significance. Now, most actually, has anyone changed my opinion on a case or an aspect of ufology? Um, 
I think the Orfeo Angelucci case is, is sort of my it, well, it is my go-to case uh, whenever anybody asks me. Do you think any of these contactees any act, actually ever experienced anything? I, I point to the Orfeo Angelucci case. I don't know what he experienced, but he experienced something. And until I got more deeply into that case, I I just thought it was another contactee case of of somebody somebody with an ideological position to promote who cloaked it in saucers to to get into that uh, to get into that uh, in, into that audience but uh, I, I think Milabs and Orfeo Angelucci two significant cases that have altered my thinking in a way um, two very different uh, topics to sort of respond to that all right who do you think would win in a fight Ashtar or Valiant Thor um, a straight up stand-up fight probably valiant thor uh valiant thor he was on earth in a physical body he had to sort of get along in that uh in that um that realm ashtar kind of ethereal he's got his spaceships he, he doesn't really get his hands dirty I, I i think i think valiant thor would uh would win in a fight um and i i think valiant thor would know how to uh, end a fight quickly what is a ufologist it's anything you want it to be, man. Are there rhetorical questions from the MUFON field guide and the GRE admissions exam to become one? Man, you know what? I haven't taken the GRE in a really long time, but uh, I don't think there are. And honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of being facetious, but I'm, I'm kind of not really. You can, you can call yourself a ufologist and, and what's, some, what's somebody going to say? Oh, you haven't conducted any field investigations. You can be an archaeologist without being a field archaeologist, right? Um, you, you you can you can be a a psychologist without being a clinical psychologist. There are different ways to do things, and this is compounded by the fact that ufology isn't even a real thing. It is a a field that is made up to make the study of flying saucers sound like a scientific endeavor when really. It's, it's not okay. Um, getting off my uh, getting off my soapbox. Um, if the Italian aliens made buckwheat pancakes, who makes blueberry? Um, I uh, ooh, that's a good question. You, you know who makes blueberry pancakes? Aliens from uh, northern Indiana and 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 southern Michigan. Good blueberry land around uh, around this area. That's all I'm saying. Are there aliens from the Midwest? Why not? Why didn't Simonton use syrup? Was he the alien all the lo- all along? Yeah, you know what? Certain, a, a syrupless pancake is is really the um, it's the one unforgivable sin. Really, it's just dry. I mean, oh, but I have a fruit compote I'm putting on my pancake. Get out of here with that. You know, give me some actual maple syrup. Otherwise, other otherwise, just eat a piece of uh, eat a piece of cardboard. All right. What is the UFO crypto paranormal subject that you just can't help rolling your eyes at? Disclosure. The idea that if we lobby the right people at the right time with the right circumstances, we're going to get all the answers to everything that's been kept a secret since 1940, whatever. That's that's the one. That's the one that I just just violently sort of angrily chuckle at. Disclosure. Any any disclosure sort of thing up to and including congressional hearings. I don't care. I, I, I don't care. It's not fun. It, it's not fun. And 
UFOs are not life and death. I need them to be fun. Uh, speaking of fun, who is your favorite paranormal media personality? Ooh, living or dead? Um, if it's all time, it's got to be Art Bell. If it's currently living, um, oh gosh, Tim Benal. Tim Benal is my favorite paranormal media personality um, because he, he basically invented uh, UFO podcasting back before podcasting was was, was really a thing, and um, he uh, he he keeps a a healthy perspective on things, and he's fun to listen to. So Tim Benal, favorite paranormal media personality does the saucer wife know what she was getting into ufo wise um she's not here to answer that herself she answered a similar question on a patreon um ask us anything uh but uh but yes she uh she did um by the time she and i um got together i was in the beginning stages of doing the research for my master's thesis about um about cold war ufo belief and uh, so she she knew what she was getting into as far as the uh, as far as the ufos went and and she was she was okay with it because she she saw it sort of as i did as, as well she saw that i was sort of doing this as an academic endeavor now if she would have uh, come over to my place and I- ignored the the sort of slovenly bachelor clutter and had her eyes fall on my ufo bookshelf before she knew any of that Things might have gone um, differently. Fortunately, the pro wrestling and Doctor Who fandom uh, kind of kind of was a, um, a a good cloak for the uh, she 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 was you know had enough, she, she had enough to be concerned about without my uh, without my UFO endeavors. Are you ever going to advertise? You know, I've thought about that, and um, I don't know. I I don't think so. You know, for, for podcast, I mean, podcast is the size where I could do the signing up with an advertising outfit and they put in ads and things like that. But it's, it's stuff that's unrelated to um, to to the show or the the, the content. Um, and that just seems seems weird. Um, I've thought about just trying to offer ad space to people who have you know, a book or a conference or something. But then if I don't know who they are and I'm not familiar with their work, then I really feel I need to get familiar with them and their work because otherwise it feels like I'm endorsing something. And then I I get somebody on Twitter saying, so why do you carry advertising from somebody who has a chapter in their book entitled Hitler? He had some good ideas. You know, so then, you know, it gets into this whole, this whole vetting process of, of that. And, And pretty soon you're doing enough work that it's, it's sort of outstripping the benefit from the advertising. So probably, uh, probably not. Uh, now I will say, and you'll hear it at the end of, of this episode. Um, if, if a friend has a promo they want to run and, and I'm familiar with them. Yeah, I'll do that. That's no problem at all. Uh, strange realities conference that, uh, Sam and I are going to be speaking at in October. Yeah, absolutely. We'll run that. So it's, it's more of a, I will, I, I don't do advertising. I'll do favors for my friends, you know, it, it, because, you know, why not? So mm, advertising, not, uh, not really. All right. Why has the variety in UFO occupants morphology, what they looked like, decreased over the years? We went from wrinkled, clawed mummies and one-eyed catfish men in, the 19, in 1973 to grays, tall whites, reptilians, and mantoids in the following decades. What can explain this seeming homogeneity? That is a 
good question. I think the fact that uh, the popular media latched on to a particular handful of types is a big factor in it. I think the rise of the contactee genre in the late 70s and into the 80s and beyond sort of cemented the grays as the as the default alien. And you might say, well, you know, what, you know, guy in a jumpsuit was a default alien for a long time, but we still had that variety. I think another aspect of it was um, as APRO fades away, as UFO investigatory agencies kind of fade away, as MUFON becomes kind of monolithic in the late 70s and into the 80s and beyond, um, I, I think I think there were fewer places for people to tell their stories of weird humanoid encounters um, in, in a place where it would get enough traction for those stories to make it to the books we read or the magazines we read or the websites we look at. I, I think you start to get among UFO investigators an increasingly sort of nuts and bolts, gray abduction oriented outlook. And so people aren't going to report those things or they do report those things and the things are sort of filed away in a cabinet and they don't make the MUFON journal. They don't make um, the documentaries or things like that. That's uh, that's the best answer I can come up with for that. Going to write any more books? Ugh. Um, man, uh, that last one took it out of me. Uh, if I do write anything, it's probably going to be something I just sort of put out myself and it's not going to be very long. Um, I, I don't know. What's, what's the, what's the nonfiction equivalent of a novella that, that sort of length. Um, I, I've toyed around doing something along the lines of um, sort of the essay collection, like I did with the chaos conundrum. I think anything I do would be sort of a series of short things, but I, I've got no actual concrete plans. What are your thoughts on Valet's recent UFO stuff? Lots of people seemed upset about Trinity, but I really enjoyed it. I have not read Trinity. Uh, I'll be honest. I, um, I, I, I'll probably read it just so I, I know what people are talking about. But I, um, I, I, I just uh, Paula Harris's name on the cover, and and her her reputation precedes her as somebody who is is, is not somebody who approaches things in a way I would find interesting or useful. And if Valet has found something interesting or useful from that, that's great. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's not something that, that I've been excited, excited to get into. Um, and I'm not really, I mean, I know he's been running around with, with some of the usual sort of ufological suspects and, and, and sort of the tangentially related to uh, big things crowd. Um, I know he comes up in that, uh, in that American Cosmic book. I, I think there's a danger of, of in certain circles of, of Jacques Vallée being this sort of, um, this sort of semi, I don't want to say saint-like, but this, this revered figure um, when, when, when really, I mean, Maybe, but in the end, he's talking about UFOs. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, I, I, I think he did some important work with, I, I think Passport to Magonia was, was, was very sort of, sort of significant. Um, I think that, uh, I think Messengers of Deception is, is, is still probably one of my favorite 
uh, books about the subject. But the recent stuff, I, I haven't really gotten into it that much. What's the Bermuda Triangle to up? up uh, what is the Bermuda Triangle up to lately? Well, the most recent incident I could find was 2020. The 29-foot blue and white Mako Cuddy cabin vessel with 20 on board was last seen publicly on December 28th, 2020, and there were some aircraft losses uh, back in the 20-teens. So the uh, the um, Bermuda Triangle still uh, chewing them up and spitting them out. Of all the famous and or respected UFO researchers of the past 70 years, is there one who you've always found suspicious or believed to have been a complete liar or fraud? Someone who the majority of people with an interest in ufology would never doubt for a second. Who would that be and why do you feel that way? Oh, wow. Complete liar or fraud um, is is strong. Um, oh, oh, how do I say anything without um, – like most of the names that come to mind are, are, are people that will be like, oh, yeah, well, he's always been kind of shady. But um, okay, I'll say this. I'll say this. I think unwittingly, Stanton Friedman probably did more harm than good to ufology after a certain point, continuing to push Roswell, continuing especially to push the MJ-12 narrative. Um, I, I think that I think that did some damage um, because those strands became so dominant and so overpowering. And I, the thing is, I do not doubt Friedman's sincerity at all. I would never call him a liar or a fraud or even suspicious. But I, I think that I, I think that the angles he pushed, um, often, especially with MJ-12, in the face of significant and convincing to me anyway, contrary evidence, um, I, I think I think that is a uh, I think that's a negative. Although he used the word flying saucer in his, the name of his presentation. So he's got – he had that going for him. He's a very nice man who, who did work very hard. And again, I, I am not saying anything against his character. I, I just think that, that his focus on those angles and his promotion of those angles um, sort, of, sort of put ufology on the course that, that it ended up being on for a very long time, even, uh, even to the present. Okay, are you familiar with the old time, as in 1982, radio drama Universe Hollow from the CBS Radio Mystery Theater? There's a link here. It's Close Encounters of the Fifth or maybe Fourth Kind meets Heaven's Gate, narrated by a cynical reporter who finds true love. It reminded me of your holiday special. Speaking of which, have you thought of expanding Children of Agalon into a screenplay? No, I have not. Um, just getting a, uh, a, a very amateur audio production was... Um, uh, was was sort of very very daunting, um, and I'm not sure what else I could flesh out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll mess around with that a little bit. I'll turn it into my first novel. Um, and I've not heard Universe Hollow, but I am going to listen to it because it very much sounds like my sort of thing. In a fight between, you <laughs> know, why are there so many fights? In a fight between Mothman and the Nazca monkey, who would win? Um, well, the Nazca monkey is already on the ground. So I think Mothman has a clear advantage. Whatever happened to M.K. Jessup's copy of the original Vero edition? I have no idea. Um, if anybody does, let me know. I have no idea. Your podcast is the source for all the books that I buy. Hopefully just about UFOs, not 
all your books ever. I understand that you will not cover some topics out of fear. Uh, fear, annoyance, yes, nervousness. Leaves me wondering what those books are that I will never hear about on The Saucer Life. Sad face. Um, you know what? I will tell you. Um, Billy Meyer. That's, as far as I can think, that's probably the, the, the only topic that I'm not going to cover. Billy Meyer's sightings and encounters over in Switzerland. I... It, it, no, it's not worth the, um, it's not worth the encounters with Billy Myers people that people I've talked to have had after talking about Billy Myers. So Billy Meyer, that's, I think that might be the only one that I'm like, nope, 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 not going to cover it. Even something that I hate like Roswell, I will probably do at some point. Given access to a DeLorean time machine style matters, who would be the first person you'd like to interview for the podcast. Um, I have to say probably Al Bender. I would go back and talk to Al Bender. Um, if I could, well, sort of the caveat for all of these, if, if I could interview them and I knew they couldn't lie to me and had to answer my questions, it would be Al Bender. If they could lie to me all they want, then probably Gray Barker. Um, so yeah, those would be those would be the two. Have you considered doing more Rift Tracks type viewings with Saucer Wife, Samantha, Weirdo Friends, Lucky Patreon members? Yeah, some watch along type stuff, uh, not just for Patreon, but but maybe uh, in general some public domain fun saucer stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've I've got some ideas for something like that. Have you read the book Pale Horse Rider yet? Yes, I did. Um, almost as soon as it came out. it's. Uh, I think it did a great job of revealing, the person says, uh, how full of it Bill Cooper really was. I guess my question is, would you consider doing a fact versus fiction Bill Cooper episode in the future? Maybe there might be room for a follow-up Bill Cooper episode, um, but uh, Mark Jacobson's Pale Horse Rider, if you're at all interested in, in Bill Cooper, the person as well as that entire sort of milieu he was a part of in the 80s and 90s. It is, I thought it was an excellent book. I understand that the name Roberta Evangeline Straith was inspired by the infamous Straith letter. From whence does the inspiration for the names Sasha Gimlinson and Simpson J. Hanover III come? Are these also from famous UFO incidents? Uh, Sasha Gimlinson, Sasha was just a name I came up with, I think. And Gimlinson, um, sort of a portmanteau of... Um, uh, the Gimlin uh, Patterson uh, Bigfoot film. Uh, Simpson J. Hanover, uh, the third, is uh, actually that my my friend who has that uh, that uh, nom de podcast is uh, that is that is a it's a literal general use fake name that uh, originated with his grandfather. So he is Simpson J. Hanover. The third, so that's uh, that's his standard uh, standard fake name. What is your relationship to? How did you come to know Simpson J Hanover the third? Um, we uh, uh, friends since uh, friends since high school, so for about thirty years at uh, at, at this point, and uh, he was my original creative partner in what at the time was uh, Chizo Records. Uh, actually, he and I have been friends for more than 30 years. Chizo Records uh, started in 1992 with some silly recording for an audience of about four people. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so just uh, just long time, uh, long time friend. 
Who's the first to come up with last question? Who's the first to come up with the idea of alien human hybrids? And why is it so popular? It makes no biological sense. Like trying to cross a tiger with an oak and drives me insane because how stupid it is. I don't know who came up with the actual idea first. I know there, when it sort of takes root in the David Jacobs style abduction stuff in the 90s, um, there's a, a long history of medical experimentation type things that could be used to sort of assume that some kind of hybridization was taking place going back to um, to Antonio Vias Boas and the um, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, things like that. I don't know. Uh, and there's probably a really obvious answer that's slipping my mind. So Everybody feel free to uh, to chime in with what the uh, the answer actually is. But I'm not sure who the first who literally came up with the the hybridization idea was. And yes, it, it, it does make no biological sense. And I think it is so popular because it's a they're able to push a narrative of um, of invaders who aren't quite like us living among us and um, and the human race being replaced by something um, by something else. Um, which Jacobs talked about in in his books. Well, those are the questions that came in, which are great. And now we're going to sort of rapid fire go through requested topics. And I'll give you an idea of how likely some of these are or are not. All right. Absolutely, utterly, and enthusiastically, I would like you to devote a full episode to the life of Gray Barker. You clearly have a great appreciation for him and how integral he was to the development of the flying saucer field for better or worse. He was a fascinating man who deserved so much more than he got, and I think you would cover him with the respect he deserves. Uh, thank you, first of all, and yes, that would be amazing. Um, that would be amazing. Now, there is a, a scholar named and listener to the show, Gabriel McKee, who is working on a history of Barker's publishing efforts and I think that might fill in a lot of blanks that maybe down the road would allow me to do something like that. And when um, when McKee's book is uh, is out there, we are going to have him on the show uh, for a conversation about Gray Barker's publishing endeavors. Uh, more classic European and international cases. The Malaysian-Japanese cases were ace and maybe some more episodes focusing on how the media culture was informed by certain cases and in turn changed the narrative. Everything from Close Encounters to The Six Million Dollar Man uh, doing Bigfoot UFO Bigfoot seems ripe for investigation. Maybe more uh, Jacques Vallée and Ivan T. Sanderson. A number of requests for Jacques Vallée, Ivan Sanderson episodes. We're going to be doing uh, some Ivan Sanderson stuff in um, early next year, I think, is uh, is the plan. European and international cases. Um, yes, we are going to be doing more of those. The um, My hesitation with that has always been um, linguistic. Uh, I, I like using firsthand accounts. And when those firsthand accounts have been translated into English, and I am ter- I know no other languages, I, I get by in English and that's about it. Um, when I don't have access to the actual words, it makes me wonder what I might be missing or what the translation might be missing. And, and so that, that's always been one of my uh, one of my my holdups. Um, I'm also sometimes concerned about uh, about cases from Africa where, it, not because it's from Africa, but um, cases from Africa where the entire perspective is from the 
white African settler population. Um, I, I I just feel we got into this very early on with uh, my episode about about Elizabeth Clare. I sorting out colonialist aspects of that can be kind of difficult. So when I when I look at international cases, I, I see some I see some pitfalls uh, that uh, that I. I I'm, I've always been nervous to work my way around, but uh, I, there will be more international cases in the coming year. Um, I've got some uh, some fun stuff uh, on um, on tap. Oh, whatever a couple people said, whatever you want to talk about, whatever you bring us, I'm going to enjoy. Thank you. Um, Richard Hoagland. Oh, I hate Richard Hoagland. He's so pompous. Uh, but yeah, probably Richard Hoagland at some point. Uh, alleged man-made flying saucers. Maybe cover the book Intercept But Don't Shoot by Renato Vesco. I've, my, my dad found me a copy at an auction and sent that to me. Uh, there's a chapter in Kehoe's Flying Saucers Are Real uh, in which an alleged disinformant named John Steele, great name, lays out the exact same man-made um, technology uh, or saucer scenario that Vesco would more than a decade later. German technology developed by the British post-World War II and eventually shared with the United States in exchange for atom bomb tech. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that is um, that is a, a good a good angle. There's a, a couple people asking for secret space program stuff, which, which it sort of ties into that in some ways. Um, more Canadian incidents. Falcon Lake is an example. Yes, uh, Shag Harbor. I need to do a Shag Harbor incident. Bill Moore's 89 MUFON speech, sooner rather than later. You'll have it before the end of the year. Um, maybe something about Joseph Farrell or one of his books. I used to think he was hot shit, but he's full of it. Not quite as gullible as Timothy Good, but he certainly believes every story which he perceives as validation of his pro-Catholic, pro-Putin, pro-Super-Nazis worldview. Yeah, Farrell is an interesting cat. Uh, I read some of his stuff for my first book on conspiracy theories, but not much, not much beyond that. Um, please outline the history of APRO sometime. Did it die with the Lorenzons? Why did no else, one else continue it? For that matter, why is MUFON a big deal in popular culture and KUFOS isn't? Um, this, oh, I forgot to mention this one's from a uh, longtime listener, Lester. Um, I, uh, yeah, APRO. We're definitely going to do an APRO episode, maybe an episode on UFO organizations in general, because those are all good questions. I would like to see more episodes devoted to the impact of UFOs on popular culture, especially classic TV shows like The Invaders and the British show UFO. Yep, that is on uh, absolutely on my radar. Uh, back, I enjoy background stories about the people in youthology, like the episode you did about the Millabs debacle. I want more tea spilled on these characters, please. Like maybe the, oh, 89 MUFON conference. Yes, yes. Uh, more zines, uh, more periodicals, more digging into some old UFO blogs. Ooh, that might be interesting. The UFO blogging scene about 10, 15 years ago was um, one of the things that got me back into UFOs. Wilbert Smith, scientist to contact D. Yeah. I like that one. On Twitter, you joke that you're going to do an episode about 19th century intentional communities. Are you? Or any other kind of non-UFO history topic? Uh, I've thought about that. Um, I thought it might be an interesting uh, interesting April Fool's joke for you to get to the end of the episode and realize there had been no UFOs in it whatsoever. Um, it might be fun. Kind of giving it away now, but it's a long time till April. You'll forget. 
Uh, some late 20th century sightings and scammers, such as the Gulf Breeze sightings. Hey, there we go. Um, coming up next, contactees in Afrofuturism. Yes, uh, I've got a lot of background reading to do, but Afrofuturism and its connection to some contactees is definitely on my list. Doris Lessing's Canopus and Argos series. If you have the years it would take to slog through the whole thing, this is elaborate science fiction that reads like a contactee story full of ancient aliens and conspiracies, which you can compare to Tony Rodriguez's series Colony Cavalier, a true account of one man's 20-year abduction. Um, Lessing is a Nobel Prize winner. Tony is not. Bob Renaud. Um, so also, I'd also be interested to see if you do anything on any of the bigger or smaller alien, alien abduction stories of the 70s and 80s. I bet you do a great one on the MIT abduction conference. Yeah, MIT abduction conference is if I do just an abduction phenomenon episode, um, people have requested Bud Hopkins and John Mack here. I, I think looking at that conference is probably a good way to do this. Uh, more contactee mythology, uh, failed prophecies. It seems like contactees were always given bad intel. In the 90s, it seemed like Art Bell reported about four disclosure or landing events a year. Yes, he did. Um, and I've got a couple of those failed prophecy type things that I would like to dig into. Uh, probably the, the biggest one is the um, is, is Hale-Bopp, uh, not Heaven's Gate necessarily, although that would be a good topic. But the Hale-Bopp Comet Companion Courtney Brown remote viewing things, Ed Dames remote viewing things, Art Bell and Whitley Strieber promoting it, and then very, very quickly um, sort of pivoting, Art Bell especially, pivoting back and forth from, I'm a journalist and I broke the news to, I'm an entertainer. I didn't, I didn't mean I didn't, nothing you hear on my show you can take seriously. Um, yeah, Courtney Brown and Hellbop. Um, less UFO focused, but I, I have a, a big... Um, a, a big spot in my heart for all the earth changes prediction people back in the nineties, Gordon, Michael Scallion and, and things like that. And there is a bit of that coming with the Gulf breeze six to a degree. And uh, last topic, um, Phil class. I love how UFO buffs hate him. Yes. And I was thinking a double header on Uber skeptic, Phil class and earlier, an earlier generation's uber skeptic Donald Menzel would be a fun sort of uh, sort of doubleheader. Thanks for listening today and for the last five years. Come back next time for the Gulf Breeze UFO sightings. Our associate producer is, as always, Simpson J. Hanover III. Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Chizo Media. Our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the fey folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchen. I'd like to invite you into the ecology of souls, 
a new mythology of death and the paranormal, a comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self. Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls. Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gorightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. 